On this episode of AV Week, we talk about embracing certifications and continuing education. We explore the tensions between experience and continuing education, and who does it really matter to? Also, sales in conference rooms are predicted to rise by 15% over the next decade. What are the opportunities in UC, or will remote conferencing be the future? All this and more on this episode of AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 518, recorded July 23rd, 2021. Meeting Equity. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. And by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Hello, everybody, and welcome to AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of news and information on the AV industry. I'm your host today, George. I have been, not been here for a while, and good golly, I'm happy to be here. It's been really much too long. We have a raft of stories to talk about, and to help me get through this episode, I have a really esteemed panel. First off, Corey Schaefer. She is the Director of Alliance and Ecosystems at QSC. Corey, great to see you. And great to see you, George. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we have Joel Norris. He is the Application Engineering at Shure. Joel, it's been way too long since we've talked. Very long time, but it's good to see you, George. Thanks for yeah. having me on. Thank you. And of course, last but not least, the one and only Dawn Mead. She is a Senior AV Architect for Defense and Aerospace Contractor. Good to see you as well. Good seeing you, Mr. Face. <laughs> oh, thank you. Probably the only one, but that's fine. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Lord knows the kids and the wife have seen me way too much. Way too much. All right, well, let's get this started off. Uh, from our friends at Sound and Communication, the title of the article is Industry POV, Embracing Certifications and Continuing Education. All right, so this is one of those topics that we always know we debate about. How much education? What do we need to know? And where is it going? And that, Corey, I'm going to start you off. There is a tension, right, as the article points out, between experience and certification or continuing education. We all know you need both, but there seems to be a dynamic that says, give me the experience and I don't want to spend the time letting you study. Talk to me about the importance of that continuing education and how we really need as an industry to grow through that. So, so I'm going to take um, talk about two paths here. So I think that you know, now we're coming out of COVID and we're talking about there's a, a shortage of hiring people, you know, et cetera. So um, I sent this over recently to um, to AV Nation because I'd seen this article published by PBS uh, NewsHour. And it was about how companies are really figuring out how do I provide the ability to do some on-the-job training or pay employees to get trained. Um, so that I can have that as a benefit for joining, you know, the, the company, you know, so like IBM is talking about how difficult it is to get staff. So they're actually investing in, you know, putting people in a training program and, and paying them. So while they're at work to have so many hours uh, a day to where they're actually doing their training and IBM's paying for it. So it's a kind of a trend that really isn't necessarily new, but people are starting to embrace to add people, uh, you know, to, to gain more people into the workforce in, in all kinds of verticals, tech being one of them. But then I also, you know, when I read that article, I feel like 
we're talking about AV certifications, and I personally feel like AV and IT, we really are the same, but yet we're not talking enough about IT certs. And so I want to draw attention to uh, CompTIA and the certifications that CompTIA offers because they're constantly adding things. So they've got um, IT fundamentals, they've got the network, they've got security, they have cloud. I mean, they have so many um, certifications that the end user is talking about because end users are wanting to you know, monitor and manage things via cloud. So if, if we as IT pros can come in and, and speak fluently in their language, you know, I, I just think that's really important. And, you know, we've been talking for years now about how important IT is, but yet we're not, we're not spending enough time on those accreditations in one girl's opinion. Well, I can vouch for that as well, because yeah, in the, the live events industry that I've been involved in, it's become a growing part of it, you know, knowing the little widgets and knowing the gadgets that do it and how the cameras work is one thing. But if you can't connect it to what's it's being connected to today, you're out of luck, at least. Gosh, and hoping. COVID, COVID taught us that, right? So yeah. everything was online <laughs> during COVID, our events, everything. So, you know. Joel, Corey brings up a good point is that IT is the base of everything. Sure makes audio equipment, but they make processing equipment. IT is a growing part of how that connectivity happens, whether it's for podcasters using interface devices or the actual mixing desks these days that will do live streams. Are you finding that there is a need for not just the basics, but more of that outside technical? Or do you find that are a mix? I mean, you're still having to treat and teach people how the, to set up a room or how to set up a mic with its proper dynamics? Indeed. Well, as Corey mentioned, uh, AV and IT, we sort of are combined. We're sort of one large entity now. And we are, the AV engineer is also needing to know sort of the IT background and how to set up a network, how to set up the mixer, or how to bring a Dante network online. And having some background in how to create and manage networks, VLANs, and routers, and switches should be sort of a, a basis now when we're dealing in the IT world or in the AV world. And as we've seen with the pandemic, we're, we've sort of been forced, sort of fast-tracked into bringing, um, you know, the globe as well as not just the U.S., but the globe up to speed on a, you know, remote podcasts and microphones, but also bridging, you know, from one customer or one client and one side of the world to the other. And that's all based on IT. So having the, the certification or having that path that the AV engineer can go down not necessarily through a four-year path, but having, you know, assert that they can get either online remotely or a, a company, either if it's provided by their company or, um, you know, one that they can find online. I know Google, Google has their own certifications, Comp, CompTIA, Cisco certification, which is the one I have done recently, sort of gives me that, that very good foundation to um, know everything there is to know for the IT world. I myself am an IT, like a network engineer, so I didn't know as much about the AV side of things. And there were certifications that brought me up to speed in the audiovisual world that I, I had no idea about. But having the, the option to do that in a very fast-paced environment, as we said, with, with COVID, we are now bridging that gap at you know a much faster, faster rate. So it's, it's crucial to have both sides to it, a mix of AV and IT in this space. I have a follow-up question for you on that. Now, pre-COVID, did you find that the dealers and installers that you were dealing with were actively wanting their employees to learn and get more certifications? Or do you think this pause, as it were, in physical work 
gave them the opportunity to say you should learn more. And do you think that will continue on past it? Do you think it's a passing phase for them or a fad because now they want to get the work done? I think, yeah, I think uh, nowadays, especially with COVID or even pre-COVID, there were certain um, companies that certainly would push for the need to take an IT certification. However, um, I know previously it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't such a, a push from other companies where you had a basis, some engineers or integrators, they had a basis for the AV side and they would rely on the manufacturer or um, the switch manufacturer or sure to provide sort of that, the missing link between the IT world when, when incorporating uh, sort of a network product into a corporate environment. But now I think given, yep, given, the, um, given COVID and given the time that we've had sort of to be able to learn, to be able to just take a break and sit and not actually be in the field, it has uh, provided the opportunity to to start learning but also i think the future and and how it is going now the future of either working in hybrid environments or just fully remote environments people are just some are not even returning to the office so it's i think going to be a part of our future from now on Corey, you had Joel and, and George, I wanted to just riff on a bit of what Joel's saying too. I think that, you know, part of the cool thing about COVID early on was when we couldn't go out into the field and kind of everything stopped and we were all like, ah, you know, I know for us manufacturers, we just saw this huge uptick in people, you know, taking time to get on the webinars and to learn, you know, et cetera. And, and obviously our team couldn't be in the field either, you know, so it was kind of a nice breather uh, to do some things that we never had time to, quote, do. Indeed. I agree. Fully agree. So, Don, in that vein, right, you and I have both been educators in it, right? Uh, we've done stuff. When I first proposed certain classes a couple of years ago for the live events industry, I had a huge IT component, and it was rejected by both Avixa and Cedia at times because I was doing a Cedia component for another firm. <clears throat> as too common. But we still see every day that everybody still says we need to inform people or get people up to speed on IT beyond that's a router, that's a switch. I don't know what it does, right? My question to you, though, in that is whose responsibility is it? Is it a fix? Is it the trade organization? Is it the manufacturers? And does it really matter to them? You know, see, my question is like outside of us, are we navel gazing and why? So I, I don't think that it's navel gazing. I can tell you that much. Um, for those of you that don't know my history, I spent most of 20 years in the industry as an integrator at a small mom and pop or a series of small mom and pop integrators who sometimes were very encouraging of education and uh, certification. And sometimes they weren't depending on who I was working for and what day it was. Um, so getting those background education, that certification was sometimes a challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have to pull Corey up on the soapbox with me, but I'm sure she'd agree. You know, for a woman in the industry specifically, we need to have that certification, the, that basis of proof of basis of knowledge behind our names sometimes to get the foot in the door that, that maybe some of our male colleagues don't have to get. Now, that said, about three years ago, I made a switch. I now work for an end user. I now work for a very large Fortune 50, 100 something uh, worldwide integrator or uh, end user. And let me tell you, our team, we have to manage projects literally every corner of the US and around the globe. I know all of the integrators in my area. I know who's BSing like, yeah, sure, he's been in the industry 20 years, but he really doesn't know what he's doing. 
versus the guys that just really could do everything from scratch and, and nail it. And having that knowledge helps me locally. But if I'm doing a project in California or Florida or, you know, Canada or England or, you know, South America, I don't know that about the local guys. So having certifications, having this background of education that they can point to gives me some kind of shorthand that they at least know the basics. Doesn't mean they're the best in the area, but at least it gives me a shorthand opening to, is this company going to do good work for us so that we don't get out tens of thousands of dollars on a project because they didn't know what they were talking about. And it's something that I've started adding into all of our, our statements of work. We require at least a CTS on your team, if not advanced CTS, is we require adherence to the um, AQAV, AV9000 standard and the AVIXA standards for installation and for you know all, all of the things. We're using all of the tools that we've been given as an industry that we may or may not have cared about to give my customers at my company who don't know AV other than the few of us on the team an insight that okay, this company that you want to use knows what they're doing or they don't know what they're doing. And that tremendously helps us in the hiring process to find partner integrators that we can work with, not just on project A that we're working on right now, but every project in that area going forward. You know, you always have to competitive bid, but if you can weed out, you know, half or more of those hundreds of people that want to bid on your job just by, well, they didn't bother getting a certification. They didn't bother... Um, you know, f learning these standards or learning these skills, I'm not going to bother wasting my time looking at their proposal. Don, I have a question for you because first of all, I love that you're actually putting that on, you know, the RFP because that will kind of force uh, the integrator partners to, uh, to get the certifications. But one thing that we've personally experienced because we'll require an integrator partner before they have access to something like QSIS that they have to become certified Right. And so but what we've seen is it doesn't necessarily mean the person on site doing the install and the programming is that person. So do you guys go to that depth? And Joel, I see you kind of going, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I can't speak for every large multinational out there, but my own large multinational, we do go to that. We say, you know, if a room has a control system, the programmer of this project must be certified by the manufacturer to do this work or, yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't want to drop names because we're not allowed to drop names, but suffice to say, we name names in our RFQs and in our SOWs that you must be certified with these companies or the company that is used in the project to work on the project. So yeah, we, we do specify that. I don't, like I said, I don't know how many other people out there are, but if you want to work for us, you better go to class. Yeah, because I have seen it on RFPs. I just, but I know from the end user's perspective, though sometimes that person isn't the one that actually walks in the door. Yeah. That's the same. I'd, I'd say with Shure products as well. There are certain products like the MXA nine ten where we say you must take the the Shure Audio Institute Microflex Advance training certification. It's a small certification; doesn't take that long, but that gives us the reassurance as well as the customer the the assurance that they are either going to be on site and be able to commission that system or that, that large auditorium in you know a fair amount of time, they won't necessarily call us to do sort of everything for them. It gives us, uh, as the manufacturer, an avenue to send integrators and either end users, if they are also commissioning the system, a place to go to get the certification if they haven't taken it already. So having 
having just the option to take these certifications, CompTIA, um, AVIXA, even the Shure Audio Institute certification, um, making that either, if not mandatory, a, a strong requisite for a project, it's just all around good for the manufacturer yeah. and in yeah, the more end users like Don that are recommend that are putting it in the scope of work is important. That's important. Yeah. Well, and I'll give you a case example of why it's important. And in this case, I will name names since Joel's on here and he already mentioned things. But we recently had a very large project for a very large executive meeting room. And when you're talking executive on my level, they're like executives. Um, and it had a bunch of the shore ceiling steerable mics in it. Room sounded terrible. Couldn't hear the vice, pre the president of the company and the, and the vice president of that sector, anything when they were in the meetings. It was awful. And they were bringing in little handheld mics and little table mics to try to make it work. We found out after the fact that the integrator on that particular job either hadn't taken those classes or hadn't brought the guy that took those classes mm. to the job. And every one of those, you know, the steerable mics, you have to like direct them and tell them which nodes to have on and which, you know, not. Oh, they were all on, all on full, and boy, did it sound a mess. So we had to come in, and I think we actually brought someone from Shure in to sort of narrow it down and sort of steer it correctly yep. and get the room up to up to spec because, and that cost time, that cost man hours, that cost money, not just from our man hours of our own team to diagnose it and such, but it cost for sure to send someone out. Yep. It cost the integrator a lot of future business, I'll tell you that, you know, there, there's a true cost to this. And if you don't go ahead and get certified or put this in your tool belt or your arsenal of things to bring to a job, you're going to lose out. I want to just uh, lay a couple of comments on riffing on what Don said too. It, this is why it's important for us manufacturers to have a relationship with end users because you had the wherewithal to pull in sure, right? Because it could have been a mark on, you know, the perception could have been that it was a sure issue, right? But being able to pull exactly. in the actual expert from the manufacturer so that they could address the problem we love that as manufacturers and we wish more end users would versus just thinking that it's the equipment you know um, mm -hmm. that we've manufactured and then as we, we've talked about avixa and comptia and i also want to do a shout out for an organization that doesn't get promoted enough and that's SynodCon. Um, that, uh, yes, you know, Pat and Brenda yeah. Brown, as far as the audio side with their certifications, when I see somebody that's gone through SynodCon course, you know, as far as training, it's very hands-on. It They are so good at what they do. And I just wanted to put, put that out there too. I fully endorse SynodCon. I've taken a few of their trainings and yeah, Pat, he does an excellent job just training, um, laying out very complex you know, skills to you in, in a way that um, doesn't take as long as I, if I were to learn that on my own, just going to a, a Pat Brown seminar, you know, sent me like light years ahead of what I've learned. All right. Well, you mentioned, Don, uh, conference rooms. You had uh, the steering mics and using those conference rooms. So we're going to move on to the next article that's related to that from our friends at Innovate. Sales of conference room products rise 15% annually over the next decade, so they claim. Uh, the article go on, goes on to say that global conference room systems to expand at a compound annual growth rate of 14.7% over the next 10 years with a market value of 1.18 oh, billion by the end of this year. So here's my question. After all this conversation about will we go back to work? Will we be in physical buildings? Will we work become the standard or are we going to improve these personal communication or personal conference systems as I like to call them? 
is that the future and what is the future basically of the UC installation market? Is it more personal? Is it for the executive and saying, there's your big room in your luxury house and this is your conference room, let's make it sound right? Or is it something bigger and how, how what is that opportunity? Uh, Corey, I'll start with you. Where do you see this going? So I feel the, that moving forward, um, and Joel mentioned this, it's, it's going to be hybrid. I think it's, we're going to have hybrid events. We're going to have hybrid meetings. I think that some organizations, uh, because they want to draw more people into the workplace, uh, that it, that many roles will be able to be remote and or hybrid, you know, coming to the office a few days a month, a few days a week, etc. So I think the biggest trend that we're seeing um, is uh, now meeting equity, right? So if you have a boardroom and you've got maybe a camera that's doing that wide shot, and then you've got these other little squares of people being brought in via their UC platform, the, the people in the meeting room no longer have the same equity in that, you know, in those meetings because it's a wide shot. So we are starting to see organizations look for these more immersive experiences and more meeting equity. So adding more technology, more cameras, so they can do tight shots on people in the room and keep them so that, that everybody has kind of their equal square up there. So for me, for, for what we're seeing on our side of the world over at QSE is more technology put into room types and finally, more thought put to more of an immersive audio-visual experience versus those plug-and-play USB devices that we were really on the trend, you know, prior to COVID. Yeah, Joel, I'm going I'm to come to you now because I want to go to the two manufacturers. Mm -hmm. In the same vein that Corey mentions, audio for a lot of these personal ones and some of the corporate ones are awful. I mean, we're all familiar with, say, the Bloomberg Radio uh, earnings announcement where it's some guy shouting into a disc, <laughs> right? And it's awful audio and it, I'm sure it drives all of us in the industry insane because you can do it better for cheaper. And why are we doing it that way? Yeah. Uh, do you see an uptick in interest both from the personal conferencing system and, and from, as Corey said, individual shots, bringing that presence out with audio of being able to say, if I sound better, I'm more important or not more important, but I'm more um, knowledgeable and that'll carry over to being more respected. Indeed, yeah, um, I, I agree with that, especially if you can provide an experience uh, for the user that is more intelligible. If you have some uh, you know, off-brand or a microphone that does, just doesn't sound well at all, you're either not going to be heard or the listener will have a hard time understanding your point. They'll either miss sentences or just sort of miss maybe even key points of what you're trying to say in a conference, and I think we are moving towards, a, as Corey mentioned, a more immersive experience where either end users or you know, personal users at their home are spending more. They are actually buying you know, better quality microphones, better quality systems, um, unified communication systems, because in, even though that we are still in a remote scenario, we still want to be you know, brought to the table, even though we're not next or close to each other, there is still that need and that want to be around um, talking to the stakeholders, being as close as possible to your end users. And in a remote world, certainly we can have this conversation now, but there is something, especially like when going to a, a conference or a meeting, there is something about, you know, being close to the, the end user, the integrator, the sales, everyone being in one large open space, having those conversations. Um, in, in the remote world, it's a bit more formal, I think. 
um, where you have to have a formal meetup. We're meeting at this time, we're using this application to meet and make sure all of your equipment is set up properly. So there's, there is a need to, to have this more immersive, this deeper connection, even through a hybrid scenario or remote scenario that, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we sort of were just thrown in it. You, you had to make do with what you had. Even um, from the shore side, we're working with colleges, universities. They're sort of like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> we have the microphones that we have, and, and we'll go from there. But now we are seeing um, a lot of attention to detail, to uh, getting certifications so that they can commission a system to the best of its ability. We're seeing all of this care and attention brought to the user experience when it comes to um, conferencing and remote work. So we can sort of bridge the gap between being on-site with a person and being off-site. I still want to follow up on that. Do you find, mm -hmm. and you may not know this answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you yeah. find that there is a demand for CEOs and executive levels to have better audio and then the rest of the staff are mm -hmm. to do what they do willy-nilly? Or are you finding that there's a global sort of we need to be this good from the IT department? Yeah, um, certainly when you are dealing with the CEO's room, the CEO's, um, you know, microphone, their setup that, you know, they'll talk to the manufacturer and say, this is the CEO, this is the executive's room. We must get this right <laughs> or else, you know, future jobs are on the line. So <laughs> there is, you know, that that extra edge or that extra sort of uh, care or attention that's brought to, you know, the C-suite, you know, executives that, you um, you know, it's, it may not be the same. Uh, depends on the integrator. Depends on the job that we come to. But yeah, certainly there may be a little little extra edge there. But we want to make sure that we're providing the same, you know, best quality experience to anyone that has either our microphones or QSCs, DSP, anyone who is working with our product line. We want to make sure that they all have the same, you know, uh, best user experience because that that draws on us. That that looks either to the company, but also to the integrator who commissioned it that looks, you know, it has a certain value. Um, so we want to make sure that the CEO all the way down to, you know, the, the volunteer has a great mm -hmm. customer experience. I think Don's the best one to answer that question because he's dealing <laughs> with it, right? I mean. It was sort of a prep into, into talking to Don. So we'll segue, as they say in radio, into Don. Don, I suspect you have two probably observations from this, probably the 50,000 foot view with your overview of how the industry works and your experience in it. And as a defense contractor employee, are you meeting in person? Are you using, say, the Control 4 or Crestron Home stuff to talk? Or is there a whole different world? I mean, therein lies where you probably need something different you're going to meet in a room. Uh, tell me the differences there and what you guys are doing or as well, far as for, you can. First, for Joel, can confirm. <laughs> the execs get the cooler shiny toys for going yeah. at home and then... It filters down from, you know, the C-levels to the vice presidents to the directors and managers. <laughs> it's true, yeah. The only reason I have good stuff at home is because I work in the industry. There you go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, the, the wide view overview is I don't disagree with the article's premise at all that everything is going to continue growing, even in a post-COVID world, and here's why. A lot of companies are moving more permanently to a hybrid schedule, but there are certain industries and verticals, my own included, that will always require an in-person presence. The uh, defense aerospace industry, finance with their their security concerns, uh, government in general, not the defense side, but you know, 
the, the, the diplomat side and so forth, healthcare with all the HIPAA requirements. There are a lot of industries that we can't just sit at home and use whatever crap we ordered off of Amazon or even whatever crap our company's IT guy ordered off of Amazon. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are requirements beyond just the equipment that's required. And I can tell you, I worked through the entire COVID shutdown and a chunk of that was on site. There, was, there wasn't a ton of, of uh, hybrid work simply because our team facilities and IT we're wildly busy taking advantage of the lack of bodies to do all of the conference room upgrades, to finish buildings that were in construction, to get designs planned, to get other buildings in in progress so that when the world opened back up again and those able to work hybrid would come back, the facilities and the and the technology would be ready for them. So in that perspective, you know, we never slowed down. We've sped up, in fact. And that completely agrees with the, what the article is saying. Um, you know, for for working from home, it it's hard to have that connection. And I, you know, Corey was right when she said, you know, the equity of of you know being just a square on a box with my face versus an entire room. You know, that is a concern. One of the things that we've done, even with those little USB plug and play cameras, is we make sure that they're PTZ and we put in appropriate presets and we make sure that the admins and the exec support and the regular IT support that might be driving the meeting for whomever's running the meeting know how to use those presets. So when Vice President A is speaking from that side of the table, the camera will go look at him. Whereas if Vice President B is speaking from the other side of the table, then she'll get the close up shot. And, you know, just try to try to uh, go with things like that or some of the cameras that have AI and follow the speaker speaking if, you know, if they prove effective, will go in that sort of direction. So I want to loop back for a second because you brought up a point that, that, that keyed on to me. And maybe this is my prejudice as an AV guy who learned IT because <laughs> I was doing it from the token ring days, but my background is in AV, right? Art, you said moving the cameras for the IT guys to move the cameras remotely via the software. Do you find that there's a necessary training or adaptation that the IT staff have to come to to order understand how to switch between people naturally and make that right in the framing or because that can be a difficulty just as bad audio can sound bad having a camera pan around and not do right can be very distracting to the conversation so how, how have you guys managed that aspect of it well I will say that we don't do other than sites where we don't have an on-site person we don't do a lot of the network-based controlling we just okay. have you know, depending on the level of the person or the importance of the person throwing the meeting, so to speak, we will send a person physically there to sit in the room behind the computer operator's desk and push the button and send the camera where it needs to go. So they're kind of involved in the meeting. They kind of get a sense of, you know, where the conversations are going. And whether they're remote or whether they're in the room physically pushing the buttons on the touch panel, we make sure that the folks doing that particular job have at least some training of how to, you know, frame it. We, we, we use AV people to do the presets themselves so that unless someone comes in and just moves their chair a completely different place, that's where it's going. You know, we give them a little chart that says, all right, this, this camera preset goes to here, this mm -hmm. camera preset goes to there. And you, know, and you might not have the full square to yourself, but it might be you and the person next to you, which is better than that wide shot of 20, 30 people in a room. Um, so there, there is some training involved, but I mean, there's training involved in everything we do, you know? Yeah, we're just starting to see um, that 
customers are also asking for a lot of automation, you know, so the fact that there is so much innovation happening with AI being built into things, customers want more automation. So, you know, versus somebody, you know, a real human in there, you know, doing the, all of the adjustments, as much automation as they can get, uh, they like. And then I'm just going to go back a little bit to that meeting equity as well with the little squares in the wide room. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I, we all meet all day long on video. And when I have even my employees or customers and they're not even on video and they're just audio, I feel like they miss out in true meeting equity because if you just see their little square, their little circle with their initials or, or their name, but you can't see them, you don't really know if they're multitasking, paying attention, yep. if you're making that connection, you know? So I feel like what COVID has really taught us is up our game, make it more immersive as possible, whether we're at home or in the room. And I, and I really see customers um, today uh, asking for for higher quality, more immersive, and willing to do the spend to bring equity into meetings. Uh, we can continue the conversation online. I want to thank you guys for joining us for the show. Uh, joining me today was Corey Schaefer from QSC. Where can they re learn more about you and the company? Well, thank you for having me, George. Great to see you again. And, and Don and Joel, great to see you. You can find me, Corey Schaefer, on the Twitters, uh, Corey.Schaefer at QSC.com. Okay, and Dawn, I'm sorry, sorry to, to cut you off, but where can they find out more about you and your uh, and your uh, musings? Maybe I'm not going to tell you. No, no okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can always find me on all of the social networks. If I'm not AV Dawn, I'm Dawn Mead, M-E-A-D-E, just like the fort. You can find me here on avnation.tv, hosting AV Social and showing up on this show as much as Tim and George will let me. Um, we do have a new AV Social coming out soon, so keep an eye out for that. Yay. And in October, if you're one of the lucky few that isn't hybrid but going in person, you will find me teaching not one but two classes down at Infocom. So look that up and come visit me and come say hi. Cool. And to wrap it up, Joel, always great to talk to you from Sure. Where can they learn more about Sure and your musings? And Thank you. Thank you very much, George, for having me. Don, Corey, thanks for uh, talking with me as well. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Joel Norris on LinkedIn, or you can visit us uh, online, sure.com slash support. Any of the applications engineers there can help with any of your commissioning audio quality and microphone needs. But yeah, visit me anytime, LinkedIn or Sure Applications. All right. Thank you. And also thank you for all of those of you who are watching and listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. We'll talk to you all again very soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye.